Father, thank you for your great and amazing grace that has set us free from all of those things which bind us, like sin, darkness, fear of death. And Lord, I know that sometimes maybe we don't feel free. Sometimes we feel like we're still stuck. But you and your grace and in your mercy and in your unending love, you care for us. You weep with us. You help us when we struggle to believe. And for that, Father, I am so thankful. I pray as we turn our hearts and minds to your word today, that you would be the one who would speak to us, that your spirit would be the voice that we hear, that our ears and hearts would be open to receive all that you have for us in Jesus' very precious name. Amen. So we're going to read the first 15 verses of Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to do a little bit of a review of what we talked about last week. I promise it'll be a short review because we have some good stuff to get to today, but it's important to put it all together in context. And then I'm going to tell you, um, so we'll be in Hebrews next week, July 3rd. Uh, Brother Roy is going to be preaching for us that day because uh, I'm going to be at camp the week before. So he volunteered to take that Sunday so I wouldn't have to worry about a sermon while I was at camp, for which I'm very grateful. And then we'll be getting back into Hebrews the week after that. Um, and I'm look, as I'm looking ahead in the book of Hebrews to what's coming next, the end of chapter 3, getting into chapters 4, 5, and 6, it's going to be a slow process. I, I think... I've learned my lesson about trying to bite off 15 verses at a time after last week. I just, I don't think that's going to be wise for the most part. There's a couple places where maybe I was getting up into, as I was reading ahead, going, well, I just want to preach that verse by itself. <laughs> and we're not in a hurry, right? Either Jesus will tarry, and one day we'll get through the book of Hebrews. It was the same way with the book of Romans. Or Jesus will come back, and it won't matter. So, I'm just saying. Um, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Um, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm to the end. Verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. 
Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, verse 12, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end while it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So you can see, I hope, why I actually wanted to do all 15 of these verses at the same time. The beginning of the passage talks about us being partakers, talks about us holding our faith firm to the end, or our confidence for, and hope firm to the end. And so does the end of this passage. I think, I mean, it's one thought. And I wanted to do that, and I failed. So we're going to briefly review the first six verses so we can keep that context in mind, and then we'll move forward. So this message, really, we're continuing from last week. We talked about how we are called uh, as the holy brethren, as partakers of the heavenly calling, and we talked about what that meant last week. If you missed last week, I highly recommend you go listen to it. This sermon will make more sense in light of that. Um, but we're partakers of the heavenly calling, and we are supposed to consider, and it's a beautiful word, I'll talk about it again in just a moment as part of our review, the apostle and high priest of our calling, Jesus Christ. He is the one whom we are, to call, are called to fully observe, discover, and perceive throughout the book of Hebrews. So, we're going to look a little bit at his faithfulness in those first six verses and that consideration, and then we're going to move forward. Because the second half of this passage, verse 7 through 15, is a warning. It's a warning we need to listen to as followers of Christ. So in the first six verses, Jesus is better, right? We are to consider, which is to fully, oh, I had the definition, I moved it, to fully observe, discover, and perceive the apostle and high priest of our confession. Remember, an apostle is one who is sent. Jesus is the one who was sent by the Father for us. We talked a lot about that in chapter 2. He is the high priest of our calling. A high priest had a, an awesome job. They were to represent the people before God and then to represent God before the people. And we are going to spend, oh, so much time talking about Jesus as our high priest when we get a couple more chapters into Hebrews. Uh, Paul, uh, who I believe is the author of Hebrews, dedicates several chapters revisiting how Jesus is our great high priest. So we'll spend some time there, but we are to consider him because he was faithful. We know that he was faithful to God who sent him. The word faithful means to be trustful, sure, or true. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, his father, just like Moses, but Jesus is worthy of more glory. Remember, the book of Hebrews is all about how Jesus is better. We talked about how Jesus is better than the angels. Now we're seeing how Jesus is better than Moses. We're going to see how Jesus is a better high priest, how Jesus is a better covenant, how Jesus is a better sacrifice, on and on and on. The whole book of Hebrews points us to the fact that Jesus is better. And so he's better than Moses because he's the one who built the house. Moses served in the house, 
but Jesus is the one who built the house. And so even though Moses was faithful, and that's good for us to understand, because it's a testimony that we should be faithful uh, as well, faithful in the things that God has called us to do, Jesus is the son over the house. He is, his faithfulness is greater. And we are that house if we hold fast with confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. And we visited and spent a little bit of time in 1 Peter 4.17 talking about us who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ as the house of God. And then I mentioned from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we are also the temple of the Holy Spirit. With all that being said, we now move in. See, I could have done that last week. And we would have we would have been done with this and on to let no, but I couldn't. I just I couldn't. So we pick up in verse seven. Oh, I'm not apologizing. I'm just saying. <laughs> verse seven. Do not harden your hearts. Therefore, right? And it's important. Therefore is that connecting word. Because, right? Because we are to consider Jesus as the apostle and high priest of our confession, because Jesus is more faithful, because Jesus is the one who built the house and is worthy of more glory because we are supposed to hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of our hope firm to the end. Because of those things, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart and have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So the Holy Spirit did indeed say this as it is a quote from Psalm 95 verses 7 through 11. It's in reference to the rebellion at Meribah and Massah in Exodus chapter 17, where the people of Israel complained to the Lord because they had a lack of water. And God told Moses, go out and strike the rock. This is the first time. Second time, he said, speak to the rock. And that's a different message. Um, but he said, go out and strike the rock. So he goes out and he stands on the rock and he, says, and he basically says, you want to see if God can do it? Whack, water comes out. And the people, the livestock, Three million people and untold numbers uh, of sheep, uh, cattle, uh, goats, camels, whatever else they had for livestock, had all the water they needed from this rock. It's a miracle. And so then the warning. Don't harden your heart. We harden our hearts when we are stubborn. It's a fancy word for it. When it says harden your hearts, it says don't be stubborn. Hardening your heart towards the things of God. We avoid hardening our hearts, according to this, when we listen to the voice of God. Jesus told us in Matthew 13, verse 15, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. 
and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. So think about this for a moment. It's easy for our hearts to be hardened. One of the things that is interesting, I, I played uh, bass and guitar for 30 years. You'd think I'd be better after that amount of time. But when I don't play enough, the ends of my fingers get soft. When I play enough, I get calluses on the ends of my fingers. And that's, now, now, when it comes to guitar and, and finger calluses, that's good then my fingers don't hurt. I notice the finger, I, a couple of my calluses are, I haven't played that much this week. And it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long. It doesn't take long the other way either. If I play for two or three days in a row, the calluses will come back pretty quick. It doesn't take long to harden our hearts. It doesn't take long for us to become calloused. And it can be simple things. Right? One act of disobedience will then spread to another act, and another act, and another act, and our heart will get harder and harder and harder. One time we read the scripture, and we decide we don't like what it says, so we're not going to believe it, or we're not going to follow it. Well, then the next time we read the scripture, it's easier not to follow it. And the next time, it's easier not to follow it. Right? One time that somebody we love hurts us, we just, oh, we're, we're never going to let that happen again. And we grow calloused. And it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to be vulnerable with God. It's hard to be vulnerable with each other. But if we refuse, our hearts harden. And if our hearts harden, what happens? Well, then they grow dull. Our ears, they become hard of hearing. Our eyes, we close. So we refuse to see. And Jesus says, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. Now this isn't a promise that you'll be healed of every disease, or that you'll never go through hardship, or that you'll always be wealthy. That's not what that promise is. But that promise is that when we turn towards him, those chains will fall off. That hardened heart, God promised us in the book of Ezekiel that he would yank out the heart of stone and replace it with the heart of flesh. We'll be able to hear him. We'll be able to see him. And he can work in our lives and move us to a place of healing. But we can't harden our hearts. Remember Pharaoh? Well, okay, we never met him. But if you go back into the book of Exodus, there's a nice pharaoh. Okay, he was an evil pharaoh. He murdered children and did all kinds of nasty things. And as you read through the ten plagues of Egypt, for the first five, pharaoh hardened his own heart against God. Moses came in, let my people go. Pharaoh said no. He hardened his heart against God. First plague. What was the first plague? Uh, this, uh, the... the, the Something. Go back and read Exodus. It's in there. <laughs> right? Because there, were, there was blood and there were flies and there were frogs and there was lice and boils. 
and, 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 and th uh, uh, fire falling from the sky and, and, um, um, all, and then all the rivers. It was bad. It was bad. I don't remember all of them off the top of my head. But he hardened his heart. Second plague, he hardened his heart. Third plague, hardened his heart. Fourth plague, hardened his heart. Fifth plague, hardened his heart. And then things change. Plague number six, God hardens his heart. Plague number seven, God hardens his heart. And you see, we, we tend to struggle with that. Um, this, this isn't in here. <laughs> Maybe we'll get through these verses today. Turn to the book of Romans, chapter one. Please. I should say please, right? Just do it. Romans chapter 1. Because we go, well, why, why does that happen? Why would God do that? Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Why does the wrath of God come down? Not because we make mistakes. Not because we do something wrong but because we refuse, we suppress, we turn away from or harden our hearts to the truth. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Right? It's all there. You, you want to know whether or not God exists? Walk to the window and look outside. It's all there. Evidence of the Trinity, evidence of the existence of a creator God is all right in front of us. Verse 21. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That is the hardening of heart that we are being warned against. They professed to be wise, and they became fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, and creeping things. And so don't think, oh, well, you know, I, I, I've never created an idol, so my heart isn't hard. There's plenty of things that can become idols. It says, so, verse 24, Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness. And the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, who worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which is due. So just in case anybody wonders, does the Bible say anything about homosexuality being a sin? Yes, it does. That's just one spot. There's many of them. doesn't mean we don't love people. It just means we don't pretend their sin is okay. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. Right? Gave them up. Gave them up. Gave them over. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all righteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, 
They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Happy Father's Day. Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. That is a description of the hardness of the heart. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Then God said, fine, and he gave him up. He gave him up to his vile passions. He gave him up to his unrighteousness. Because God is a gentleman, and he has created us with the capacity to choose. Now, we can use that capacity to choose to follow Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and his grace. Quite often, we take our capacity to choose, and we choose poorly. We choose to go the wrong direction. Now we can repent, we can come back, we can be forgiven. Praise God. But if we don't, and we continue to harden our hearts, we don't heed the warning that God gives us in his word, eventually, God will do exactly what we just read about in Romans chapter 1 to us. He did it to Pharaoh. Paul talks about doing it with various people in the church in the epistles he'll go fine you want to go that direction I'll let you go that way you're going to suffer the consequences for it and when you're ready I'll be here you can come back but he will allow us to do that he will allow us to make wrong choices and we will suffer the consequences of those choices all that to say if you'll hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. It says in verse 9, Where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with them, or with that generation, and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So they tested God. The idea here is um, that we try to make God prove himself in order to be, or in order to listen to him or be obedient to him. Let me give you some advice. Don't do that. We don't have the right to test God. He can test us. But we don't get to test him. Well, God, if you really love me and you really want me to follow me, then you'll do this, that, or the other thing. You know, if you really loved me, Lord, I'd win the lottery. If you really loved me, I'd never lose pickleball. If you really loved me, I could eat all the chocolate chip cookies I want and never get fatter. You know, that, that is one of those things in this world. Why does everything that's good for you taste like death? I'm sorry. Anybody in here eat kale? I'll pray for you if you do. I'm so sorry. It ain't right. Kale, I, I, it's part of the fall. Remember how the ground was cursed? I'm pretty sure that's where kale came from. I don't think that was part. Kale was not in the garden. Right? Back then, you did whatever you picked off the tree tasted like happiness. Kale tastes like sadness. It just does. I don't, I've eaten kale. Someone said, oh, kale's good for you. You got to try it. Okay. I'd rather. 
I'll die at 47 years old of a heart attack before I'll eat kale because I get to go home and be with Jesus. Right? I'll eat other things. I'll eat broccoli and whatnot. Right? But kale. We're going to pray for you. We'll pray for you. We love you. We accept you as you are. Right? But, but nobody likes kale. Not really. But we don't test God like that. That's not our place. That's not right. Jesus is our example. In Matthew 4, verses 5 through 7, uh, during his temptation, and we're not going to talk about the whole temptation, but in one of them, the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt or test the Lord your God. We can, we should, and we must trust God. But trust in God does not mean testing him. We don't say, God, I'll trust you if you do this. We say, God, I trust you no matter what. Job. I love the book of Job. If, you're ever, if you ever think you're having a bad day, go read the book of Job. Right? Job had a, several bad days in a row. But there's one phrase in there when his wife is telling him, just curse God and die. And he says, well, should we accept good from the Lord and not evil also? And a little bit later on, he says to one of his comforters, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Shaphrach and Benny. They were about to get thrown into the fire. Nebuchadnezzar says, you know, you can bow down to my God. And they said, uh-uh. And they looked at him and said, oh, king, our God is able to deliver us. That's faith. But if he doesn't, we still will not bow down to your idol. That's trust. Doesn't matter. If we die in the fire, fine. We're still going to trust him. That, whew, we don't get to test God. Finally, that we don't go away and refuse to know his ways. The warning here is that knowing his ways will keep us from going astray. If we refuse to know his ways, then we can and will be easily led astray. How do we know his ways? I want you to consider a prayer from Psalm 25, verse 4. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the days. You want to know his ways? Ask him to show you. Ask him to teach you. Understand that his ways are revealed in the word of God. And search for them there. If we don't listen to these warnings, the end of that there in verse 11 says, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my God has a rest for us. This rest, of course, is found in Jesus. 
Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and following. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This rest is about ceasing from our works and trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And we're going to talk more about that as we finish chapter 3 and start chapter 4 uh, next week. But the rest, oh, all, oh, it gets into it. Chapter 4, we, we, chapter 4 is one of the best places for us to understand our relationship to the Sabbath. And we'll, we'll get there. But what happens if we don't listen? What happens if we don't heed the warning? We don't get to enter that rest. Verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So we are told to beware. Right? The title for the third section, Beware, Exhort, Partake. We're told to beware, to behold, look, regard, or take heed. So that we do not have an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now we're going to delve into something here for a few minutes. We're going to get into it a lot more as we move through the book of Hebrews. But we're going to take a couple minutes and talk about eternal security. Because there's a lot of people who like to argue about eternal security. Right? There's, there's a school of thought within the greater Christianity known as Calvinism. Uh, it's based on a man named John Calvin. And John Calvin would, I don't know if, if people can actually roll over in their grave, but if John Calvin knew what they did with his teaching, he would roll over proverb, proverbially in his grave. Because John Calvin never taught the things that quote-unquote Calvinists teach today. Just saying. Uh, and if you want to talk more about that, we can talk about that some other time. But Calvinists essentially teach diehard Calvinists, because I know several people who call themselves Calvinists who aren't like this. Um, but diehard Calvinists teach that you're, you're saved, no matter, you know, God has chosen you to be saved, you're going to heaven, there's nothing you can do about it one way or the other. You can reject Jesus Christ, you can refuse to follow the word of God, you can spend your whole life as a sinner, never step foot in church, but if God has predestined you to salvation, you're going to heaven. They refuse to evangelize, because they're afraid that if they evangelize people and someone who's not chosen by God accidentally gets saved, that they'll be all disappointed when they don't get into heaven. We hit this pretty hard in Romans 9, 10, and 11. So if you want to hear all my thoughts on it, you can go back and listen to those messages. Um, but that's what diehard Calvinists, some of them anyway, think. Well, then you have a nice guy by the name of Joseph Arminius. And Joseph Arminius, like most things, when one group of Christians goes to one extreme, another group of Christians goes to the other. Right? We see the same thing with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You have one group of Christians that abuses them and does unbiblical things with them. Then you have another group of Christians that denies they even exist. The same thing happened here. John Calvin went one way, Joseph Arminius went the other way. Became known as Arminianism. 
And Arminianism basically teaches, at least the diehard Arminianists, spell that, because it's not really a word. Um, the diehard Arminius will tell you, right, you're driving from your house to Walmart, which in my case is 0.98 miles. And on your way there, someone cuts you off. And you, in that moment of almost getting into a car accident, oh, you stupid jerk, how dare you? <gasps> At that moment, you're no longer saved. If you were to die, you'd go to hell. So what do you do? You gotta go back to church. Because you can't do it on your own. You gotta go back to church, you gotta go down front, you gotta get saved again. Every time you do anything wrong, you gotta get saved again. I love to challenge people when they hold these views. Here's my Bible. I'll give you 10 bucks if you can show me where it says that. Well, you don't understand. You've got to interpret this. Oh, no, 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 no. As soon as the clear teaching of Scripture is different than your theology, your theology is wrong. I promise. It doesn't mean that I'm always right, but it does mean that God's always right. And I am not afraid what anybody will believe by simply reading this book. Right? I love it when people do that. Well, but you see, if you look at this passage and then you take it this way and you look at No. I already know you're wrong. As soon as you're trying to explain something to me that the Bible doesn't clearly teach, I already know you're wrong. So then we have to ask the question, does the Bible teach eternal security? Yes, it does. Does the Bible teach free will and human choice in regards to salvation? Yes, it does. So who's right, Calvin or Joseph Arminius? Both, and neither, all at the same time. Because we're just going to go with what the Bible says. You see, we're told in places like John 10, 28 through 29, that no one can snatch us out of Jesus' hand. Or no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. And I rest in that security. Because if I lost my salvation every time I made a mistake, folks, I might not be saved right now. Romans 8, 31 and 39 reminds us that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And so I rest in the fact that I am eternally secure because he's the one who finished my salvation. He's the one who holds on to me. I'm grateful for that. But we still have choice. Because here the word of God warns us to not depart and listen to this word, the meaning of this word. It means to remove oneself. It means to revolt, to desert, to fall away, to refrain, or withdraw. Well, that awfully sounds an awful like, like I have a choice. Like I could choose to withdraw myself from God. I could choose to rebel against him or remove myself. Isn't that what it sounds like? Anybody? That's what it sounds like to me. Go back and read Romans 9, 10, and 11, or listen to those messages. Romans 9, all about the sovereignty of God and our predestination. Romans 10, if anyone will call on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. Well, wait a second. Are we predestined? Yes. Do we call on the name of the Lord? Yes. It's like, you know, if we just believe the Bible, we'll be okay. It's kind of surprising. And I promise you, because I know there may be a few people listening, oh, go deep, go really deep, we will. 
in Hebrews chapter 6. And then again in Hebrews chapter 10. We will deal with these issues at length. But for our purposes today, we are being warned that we should not allow or cause our hearts to be hardened. We should be aware of the possibility and pay attention to it so that our own unbelief does not cause us to remove ourselves or withdraw ourselves from the living God. I do not believe we can lose our salvation. I've said this before. We lose our keys. We lose our cell phones. How many of you have this discussion? Anybody seen my phone? Somebody call it. I don't, I don't know where it's at. And then if it's my wife or, or either of my daughters, oh, but it's on silent. Well, that's your fault. You don't have a phone anymore. <laughs> I leave my phone on not silent, and I turn it way up because I'm deaf. Um, we can't lose our salvation. You don't wake up one morning and go, man, where did Jesus go? I do believe that the scripture makes it clear that we can choose to walk away. That's not losing our salvation. That's leaving. Then we have to ask the question, and this is addressed in 1 John, and we'll deal with it when we get to Hebrews chapter 6, was that person ever really saved? Because according to 1 John, if they went out from among us, they were never really one of us. So were they ever saved to begin with? We'll deal with that in Hebrews chapter 6. I can't judge a person's heart. I don't know if you were truly saved. Not you, but if somebody walks away from Christ, I don't know if they were truly saved before they walked away. Only God knows that. But like I said, we're going to deal with that in Hebrews chapter 6. So please, please don't take this to mean that we in any way earn our salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 makes that clear. Also keep in mind that we do not maintain our salvation. Galatians chapters 2 and 3 make that clear. We don't earn it and we don't maintain it by our own works. It's not what I'm saying. It's not what the Bible's saying. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit works in us and we continue in our salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit works in us. It doesn't mean we lose our ability to choose evil or to depart from following after God. Our capacity to choose to follow Jesus and continue to follow Jesus comes as a gift of his grace. What we need to take away, because we're going to revisit this a couple more times in the book of Hebrews. We are eternally secure in Christ because of his finished work on the cross and the maintaining power of and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. However, if we're not careful, we could choose to walk away. Maybe because we're deceived by sin. Maybe because we've hardened our hearts because something happened that we didn't like. Or that we're having a hard time dealing with. Or whatever it might be. But that's, that's a choice. So now we're given instruction on how to avoid that. And, and I'm going to try to move a little quicker, but don't hold your breath. So we're to exhort one another daily while it is called today. So we're not hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we become partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confession steadfast to the end while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So exhort one another daily so our hearts are not hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. This is our first instruction as followers of Christ. 
to avoid such a falling away. Exhort, which means to encourage, implore, invoke, invite, call near, beseech, comfort, entreat, or pray. You want those again? Encourage one another. Implore one another. Invoke one another. Invite one another. Call near. Beseech. Comfort. Entreat or pray for one another so that our hearts are not hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Because, folks, sin is a really good liar. Sin is a really good liar. I don't mean to anthropomorphize sin. We sin, we make that choice. But the devil, our enemy, is a really good liar. And because of that, sin is very deceitful. How? Well, some people, like we were in Romans chapter 1, well, they just pretend that whatever they're doing isn't actually sin. Well, that's not wrong. You're just being judgmental. No, it is wrong. And there's consequences for it. Well, it's just a little white lie. A lie is a lie. Well, but we really love each other, but you're not married. Right? I can keep going down the list. We like to rationalize sin. Well, don't you understand? I work hard, so I deserve to have a little fun. You can do a lot of things that are fun that don't dishonor God. I recommend pickleball. Until you get angry, then you kind of sometimes might dishonor God a little bit, but that's, that's different. It's not pickleball's fault. Well, we ignore it. We know it's wrong, but we don't care. We do it anyway. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands. Right? I'd, have to, I'd have to raise feet and everything else for all the times I've done these and other things. But we're told to exhort one another. This can be a positive encouragement to continue in the right way. Hey, you know, brother or hey, sister, I, I, can, I can tell you've been in the word and loved seeing you at church. I love it when you worship and we worship together and we pray with one another or for one another. Keep going. That's awesome. So good on you if you're doing that. It can be <clears throat> a rebuke. Taint seen you in church for a while. This isn't meant as a, as a rebuke to anybody here who's, who goes on vacation or, or anything like that, right? We have folks here who have been camping or folks who are going on vacation and, and all. I'm not saying that, right? Everyone's going to miss a Sunday or you're going to be sick or, or whatever. Okay. But what I'm talking about, well, I haven't seen you in a month. I haven't seen you in three months. I haven't seen you in six months. When was the last time you read your Bible? When was the last time you, you spent time in prayer? When was the last time you fasted? You don't have to answer those questions to me personally unless you really want to. But those are questions. You show me that. You show me how often you're in the Word, how, how much time you spend in prayer, how much time you spend in fellowship, how much time you spend serving other people. Right? You show me that, and I can tell you how spiritually healthy you are or are not. Right? There's a when you, when, you, when you spend time in the gym and you spend time around people who like to work out, there's a saying, abs are made in the kitchen. They certainly are. <laughs> right? It doesn't matter how many sit-ups you do or how much you work out. If you don't eat well, that washboard stomach, 
right? I have more of a spherical washboard. Right, but that's not going to show up because you got to have the right diet. It's the same for us spiritually. If we don't have the right spiritual diet, that impacts our health greatly. So maybe we rebuke or we correct or we invite them to return. I can see you're having a hard time. Why don't we, why don't we sit down and pray together? Or I can see you're struggling. How can I encourage you? How can I strengthen you? How can I hold you up? Or you confess to somebody, I blew it. Okay, how can I come alongside you and help you come back? That's what James 5, 19 and 20 told us when we were there. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Matthew 18 discusses it in the context of church discipline, so we're not going to visit that right now, but no, it's there. Matthew 18, 15, and 17. But this is what we are called to do, to encourage one another. Why? Because we become partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And that's the second instruction. That we are partakers of Christ, participants in Christ, sharers of Christ, associates with Christ. We talked about this last week in verse 1. It doesn't mean we take Christ in. It means he has taken us in and allows us to have him, participate in him in our lives. This is contingent on holding the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. By not hardening our hearts or falling away in the rebellion. Ultimately, our confidence is in Christ. Our hope in his death and resurrection. And this is secure for us as we remain in him by the power of the Holy Spirit, which we talked about earlier. I'm going to give you this warning and then we'll close. This is from Galatians chapter 3, which I referenced earlier. In the first three verses, Paul says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? We begin with Jesus in the Spirit. We continue with Jesus in the Spirit. And by his grace, we will finish well with Jesus in the Spirit. Let's close. I found this quote by Michelle Lynn Brown that said, life is a mess. If we stopped there, the quote would be true. Um, it continues, life is a mess. There is trouble around every corner. It continues to be true. But Jesus gives us peace and rest in the good times and the bad times. Today, I think this is exemplified by our text in Hebrews. As we talked about last week and, and revisited today, we're called to be faithful servants like Moses, with Jesus as the supreme example of what that looks like. And we will return to this line of study in the future of Hebrews. But then we are warned, and then we are warned, and then we are warned, 
And then we are warned to be intentional in our relationship with God through Christ so we don't fall away. We are called to exhort one another as followers of Christ to continue in our faith in him. And folks, I harp on this a lot, but look around. This is our family. And we should act like it. I'm going to tell you something. I love to encourage you. I want to support you. I want to help you in any way I can. But I'm going to confess something to you. I need you to do that for me. I am so far from perfect. I mean, so far. You want to know what? I won't say I did. Sometimes I sin. I know. Everybody was surprised. A few of you kind of almost fell over. Hold each other up. Right? I don't have a pedestal. I'm not better than anyone. I need you. I do. Because I struggle too. We, that's part of why God has made us a family. We're going to talk about that more in Hebrews chapter 10 too. And so we need to exhort one another. As I said earlier, as I've said repeatedly, we can't earn our salvation, and we don't have the power to maintain our salvation. That's all God, all grace, all faith, all the Holy Spirit working in us. However, if we don't listen to his voice, if we become stubborn and rebellious, we may fail to enter that rest. The rest that's offered to us and promised to us in Christ. I don't want you to be that person. I don't want to be that person. I hope you don't want to be that person. And I hope you don't want me to be that person. We need to go into his rest. And we're going to talk about that next week. So a couple things to think. If there's anybody here, anybody listening, who has never received Christ as Savior, well, then there is no rest. There is no peace. There is no hope and there is no confidence. I'm not saying that to make anybody feel bad, but it's just true. So if you're here or if you're online and you're listening, and you're not sure. You don't know that the only Son of God died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. Then a lot of this wouldn't have made sense to you. But it can all make sense. You can be forgiven. You can be freed from sin and death by responding to Jesus' call to turn from your sin and hear his voice today. For those of us who know Jesus, let us carefully consider our faithful king our God, Savior, Apostle, and High Priest, who calls us to not harden our hearts, but to abide in Him. So if there's anything in your life that's keeping you from this, repent of it. If you need help with that, talk to somebody. We'll help you. As a family of Jesus' followers, let's be intentional about seeking Him. Let's listen so we can hear His voice. Let's get into His Word so we can follow his ways. And let's be intentional about encouraging one another in this common pursuit. We're all going the same direction. I hope. If you're going a different direction, let me know. But I hope we're all going the same direction. We really should go together. It'll be so much more fun. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. And I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace and for all that you teach us. I pray, Father, that you would guide us. Help us, Father, to know you, to know you more, to be intentional in our relationship with you, 
to be intentional in encouraging and supporting one another. And that by the power of your spirit, we could follow you all for your glory. In Jesus' name.